Welcome to the Adoptee Diaries, the show where we dive deep into topics that matter to those who are part of the adoption constellation. I'm your host, Bethany Frazier, and I'm here to guide you through the profound experiences that shape our lives and connect you to the resources available along the way. During National Foster Care Awareness Month in May, I had the beautiful honor of interviewing Audra Bullock, the founder and president of Tidewater Friends of Foster Care, a remarkable organization making positive impact in the lives of foster children in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Take a listen. So before we dive in, I wanted to give a little background of how I met today's guest. When I kicked off my DNA search and reunion journey in the summer of 2020, I only shared the details with my inner circle to include the women that are part of a leadership community that I had been a part of at that point for several years. I should have known that the universe was already plotting behind the scenes. However, I wasn't thinking about that at the time. After mentioning I was adopted and sharing the DNA test findings, one of the women in the community, who I'd known for some time, reached out to me separately to share her own experience of navigating the foster care system and eventual adoption. In that moment, our connection deepened. The sense of belonging became palpable. I was not alone, and her and I started sharing our experiences from that day on. In the chapters that unfolded, she found herself drawn to Tidewater Friends of Foster Care, an organization dedicated to supporting the current generation of children in foster care, and, as the universe would have it, I had the privilege of interviewing the remarkable founder and president of TFFC, Audra Bullock. Audra's story is one of true inspiration and unwavering commitment to make a difference in the lives of foster children and their families. Back in 2009, Audra embarked on a remarkable adventure, joining the prestigious NASA Langley Research Center. There, she contributed her expertise to space shuttle missions and various space-borne programs focused on remote sensing. Her outstanding contributions didn't go unnoticed, as Audra's remarkable work earned her the NASA Exceptional Achievement Medal, amongst others. But Audra's journey took an unexpected turn in 2015 when she became a foster parent. Witnessing firsthand the needs and challenges faced by children and families within the foster care system, Audra felt an undeniable calling to make a lasting impact. So she made the courageous decision to retire from her engineering career and founded Tidewater Friends of Foster Care, a 501c3 organization committed to improving the outcomes of foster youth in southeastern Virginia. At the heart of Tidewater Friends of Foster Care's mission is the drive to provide foster children and their families with the support they need. Through strategic partnerships with individuals, local businesses, and nonprofits, TFFC aims to increase the number of loving foster homes while also offering academic tutoring, enrichment programs, and extracurricular activities for foster youth. The impact they have made so far is simply awe-inspiring. To date, Tidewater Friends of Foster Care has served over 1,300 foster children across southeastern Virginia. They've recruited 1,500 foster parents, sponsors, and advocates, and provided a staggering 30,000 hours of professional academic tutoring. On top of that, they have sponsored 1,300 YMCA memberships and fulfilled over 5,000 birthday and holiday wishes. Audra's dedication as the executive director of Tidewater Friends of Foster Care is commendable as she devotes her time and energy as a full-time volunteer. Audra Bullock, thank you. Um, I'm so happy to finally meet you in person, honestly, because I've been hearing your name now for many, many months from a mutual friend of ours. So thank you for being here. And 
I, so let's just start with you. Thank you. Thank you. You are the current president and founding director at Tidewater Friends of Foster Care. Um, I know that started in 2016. Can you tell us how, why it came to be? Sure. Thanks for having me on, Bethany. It's great to meet you. Um, so yeah, in in 2015, my husband and I became foster parents and it, it was almost kind of a fluke. Um, you know, there are lots of different paths as we were looking at, um, you know, an empty nest with older children going off to, to college. We were taking inventory of our lives and, and trying to figure out what we were going to do in that next phase. Do we, you know, start traveling more? Do we, do we, you know, try and have, you know, more kids? What do we do? Um, and we took inventory of the um, philanthropy that we, we had and it all surrounded children. Everything we were doing from, from helping women with, uh, you know, that were homeless with young children, uh, get their GEDs, the the places that we donated to, everything really was centered around children. Um, from a previous marriage and a long, long time before that point in time, I had um, been exposed to um, the concept of foster care and children in the system that needed homes. And so that always kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And when we decided to explore um, foster care as a potential option, we were just completely riveted by the combination of the need in our own community. Um, Norfolk, where we were living at the time, is uh, basically landlocked by all the rivers and bays around. And so um, you've got very well-to-do communities, a solid middle class, but very um, poor communities all in the same region living right next to each other. And I was shocked by what I didn't know was going on in my own community. And that was the this very large population of, of children that were in foster care that needed homes. And once we um, saw that need and married up with the number of people that were engaged in this space as prospective foster parents that had come from the foster care system, right? They had been in foster care and knew that the, the importance um, a, a, a good parent and a good house can make for these kids. There was no no truer testament to the importance of the work. And so we just decided we would do that. And once we became foster parents, um, you know, our first placement, um, this little boy, he was almost three years old. You know, I, I assumed everything was taken care of. Um, you know, all of his needs were met and there were ample resources um, for the foster care system. And I, I was just almost floored at the fact that they're, they're just not. And the reality of him as this tiny human being, he really didn't do anything wrong, but he's faced with all these big consequences of the adults in his, the, the adults in his life, life have made. Um, I thought, wow, you know, it's kind of a luck of a draw if he gets somebody that has additional resources to fill these gaps. And and he got them with us and we would always make that commitment. But not every parent that comes to the table to foster has, you know, coffers to, to fill the government resource gap. And so we um, sat down as a family and and I, I, I said, look, guys, I, I really need to do more in this space. And, um, you know, can can I, you know, maybe take leave of my job at NASA and do more? Um, don't know what that looks like 
what I know I've got skills that I can can lend to at least this in industry or space um, that might make a difference in, in that, you know, over the course of a, a few months to um, uh, almost a year ended up uh, in me starting a nonprofit. I didn't intend to. It wasn't my expertise. I, I literally got the nonprofit for dummies book <laughs> to be able to start it, but it worked. And, you know, I've, I bring some program management skills from my, my time at NASA and the University of Hawaii and um, so that helped, and and here we are with a nonprofit that serves over a thousand kids a year. So it's uh, and and we've had so blessed with community support to do it too. I mean, I you know, there's only so much skills can do, but you've got to have the broader community backing you to to make a difference in this world. And you grew up in the area, is that correct? I did. I'm from this area. Um, okay. I went to my alma mater's, um, one of our our key partners, Old Dominion University. I, I grew up in Virginia Beach and and was living um, back at Norfolk after I returned from um, Hawaii. Um, yeah. Wow. So what got me, obviously, as I was listening, I was listening to other podcasts that you had been on. I was reading your bio and I only knew you as Audra, the founder and the head of the um, of the TFFC. So when I started digging in and you had said, yes, I'll be on the podcast. And I was really digging in. I was like, wait a second. Her background is worse. <laughs> I never. So I think the transition that you have decided to make out of NASA, which I can't imagine what it's like working there. Um, and transitioning into this place of service is amazing. So I don't know if there's something specific. It sounds like you just had this drive to be in the space and you're like, enough is enough. Like, this is my purpose. I'm going to leave. Did you actually leave NASA to do this? I did. Um, I took leave of my job yeah. for a year and then it came time to, you know, I had to eat, I had to go back or I had to hang up my cleats and it was, yeah. it was a scary decision, but um, it, it's the one that I, I've never regretted. I, I do miss the, the work there, but the, the fullness of heart and the feelings that I have around being able to make a difference for these kids, um, is, is so profound that I, I could never, I could never do anything else. And, and I, I tell you, Bethany, what it was for me, I, I'm an empath, right? I, I see people on the street that are homeless and and I hurt for them and with them and really want to do something to prevent that and when I got into this space of foster parenting and and that should that, and for all intents and purposes that should have been enough <laughs> it should have been enough that we were opening our home but for me to understand that there were other children like um, this little boy in my home that might end up you know there, there are two paths he might end up going to be the future engineer of NASA, and that would be amazing because he would beat all the odds, but the odds are that he's probably not going to. The odds are that he's going to end up homeless or incarcerated or on public subsidies indefinitely and not living this, this you know, productive, contributing or, or, or happy adulthood. And that was an injustice that I couldn't sit with, right? I couldn't sleep. And so being able to do something about it really is more, um, you know, as much as it is to give back to these kids, it's a salvation of my own, my own sanity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, you know that this is a new podcast, and it kind of came out of my story and my journey, and me landing on a community of first adult adoptees. And then I started realizing organizations exist that are supporting adult adoptees. And then I realized, of course, organizations exist that are helping foster care. You know, children that are in foster care that need to. Um, navigate life and get all these resources and things like that. So once I entered into this space of knowing all these organizations and people in this constellation exist, um, I, I wanted to make sure I'm meeting the people 
and that you also have a chance to highlight your work and highlight what you do. And it's just a big, I guess it's the whole constellation that I keep hearing about of, of the people that work in it, the people that are parenting, the people that are prospective parents, foster parents, counselors, you know, it's such, there's so many people that facilitate, I guess, like one child's existence. And it's so important that we get it right. Um, so when I think about that now, and I've learned about that, what, and since you're a foster parent yourself and running the organization, what is the like biggest challenge that you have experienced as a parent or that you see a lot of the parent, other parents that you work with? Um, is there like something that stands out that's like the biggest challenge that needs to be addressed? Um, you know, that's, that's a hard question because there's a lot of big challenges in foster care. Um, you know, I, I think first and foremost, um, you know, as we as we look at this as an onion, the, the biggest skin on it is the, the trauma that the children experience, um, both from what brought them into care, but also being separated from their parents. That is a tremendously hard thing for these children to go through, regardless of, you know, whether there was abuse or neglect. Children love their parents and parents love their children and that separation, particularly for a, a small child, is devastating on a level I think that we have yet to fully acknowledge or understand biologically, emotionally, psychologically. Um, and so I, I think being able to support parents in this realm, both family of origin and foster parents, to, to wrap around a child from two separate spaces, right? Because the children are removed from their families, two separate spaces, but wrap around in harmony to help this child heal because the children didn't do anything wrong in this, right? They're the ones being moved like pawns. And I hate to say it that way, but, but it is. I mean, the system is you parents aren't doing what we feel is safe. We remove your child to save them, but we're gonna hold them over here and they're gonna be safe with these surrogate parents, but they're gonna be hurting. And you gotta do what you need to do um, to get them back. And and that whole model, gosh, I wish <laughs> I wish there were a way we could just like pause time, right? For the child, so that they don't yeah. have to go through that because it, it really does leave scars. So the, the children that that have come through my home, that has been one of the things that you can't fix for them. Right, as much as you want to hold and love them and make that hurt go away, that hurt is going to happen as long as they're away from their families. And you, as an adoptee, also I'm sure have felt that hole even as an adult from time to time. And so, I think that emotionally is the is the biggest challenge of how do you do that. And then, you know, coupled with that hurt in children, is that they don't have the words to express the hurt. And so parenting in this space of, uh, of a hurt child that uses behaviors, right, as messages yes, rather yes. than words, it takes, it takes thick skin, it takes um, emotional intelligence, and it really takes knowing and understanding your own triggers and issues so that you're not being triggered by the child um, in, in what is their way of just expressing their grief. So mm -hmm. that, I think, yeah. is, you know, fundamentally a challenge across the board, but then there are also just challenges of resource limited system. I mean, it, it a lot of our public services, a lot of our human services have whittled away over the last 20, 30 years and families are really feeling that. Um, and you can't 
have a system so anemic and expect magical outputs. We can bring all the people to the table we want, but we have to bring additional resources because these children need them and their families need them and the families that are taking care of the children need them and the social workers who are overseeing this and, and having exposure to secondary trauma all day long. They need resources and breaks too. So, um, you know, I think those are the top challenges if I had to yeah. put them. Yeah, which is part of it is like policy and resources and funding and things like that. And then the other part is just the human part um, you know, obviously it's Mental Health Awareness Month. It's yes. National Foster Care Awareness Month. And when I think about the intersection of those two things, the mental health, to your point, we don't know what the trauma and the experience is going to bring. And in my in my case, I was born in the 70s. It was a very much so like field deal. Here you go. Here's the baby. Handshake. Goodbye. Go on and live your life. So it was totally up to my parents my impression is that it was up to my parents to navigate and they did what they could do best. Uh, I'm super excited when I started to research that there's, that there are people and resources that are out there. And I think connecting the people to the resources, and then obviously we need more resources, but it, thank goodness everybody's talking about these things now and it doesn't feel so closed and secretive because um, I'll tell you 40 plus years now later, um, I, I do know now the word of some of the things that I experienced were traumatic. Um, the word is like, there are some insecurities and some things that came out. And a lot of that could be because I didn't really have an identity, a sense of identity and a full sense of belonging, being biracial in a white family in a predominantly white area. But I love when I hear you talk about this because I'm like, oh, I feel like People get it now and parents get it now. We have to talk about it. It's not in our best interest to not talk about it. Even if we don't get it right, even if we don't know the answers, even if we screw up. Um, one of the things that kept bubbling up for me over the last few years as I kind of entered into this knowledge, this place of knowing my story and my ethnicity was um, like truth, trust, and transparency. Those keep being the words that pop up. So, um, you know, I think, and, and even me as a parent, I can't, we're not always, we're not always, even with our biological children, we're not always going to get it right. So that's okay. Um, I think admitting it could go a long way and just being honest about the origin. So the mental health of it all, we need mental health professionals that are skilled and knowledgeable. And I also had therapists for probably 10 years or so, a big chunk of my life. I had a therapist for something totally unrelated or so I thought <laughs> unrelated to my experiences being a adoptee. She's amazing. She's fantastic. We never spoke about my being adopted and never, we talked about childhood. We talked about everything that was going on in my life and we never talked about that piece of it. So, um, and, and she's fantastic. I think the skill set that is required to specifically deal in mental health with children in the foster care, children that are adopted, it's a special skill set. Um, and there's not a lot of people maybe out there either. So, um, I, let's see, I had another thought that I wanted to ask you. How do you deal with the difficult stories? So if the, you know, if the story of a child's biological parents aren't, isn't, isn't great, whether they were being pulled out of the house because somebody was incarcerated or something, you know, 
they, they needed to be pulled out, not pulled out because of, anyway, if a child is pulled out of a home and placed into foster care and they ultimately cannot return to that home because it's not safe, how do, how do you broach that subject or recommend that that subject gets broached? Is it, do you have a third party helping you facilitate those conversations in general? Would that be the recommendation? Um, I don't know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I think it's going to be on a on a case by case basis on what the parent feels comfortable with. You know, our policy in our family is is we're pretty transparent um, about what goes on. I think it's important that you know that our our children. I have adopted two from the foster care system. That they know that they're adopted. That they know that they have other parents out there. That they understand some of the circumstances around why they are not with their parents, but always and uh, first, always with the utmost respect for their families, because these children are their families, right? They are a part of the fabric of DNA that is their biological genetics, right? And those people should be honored because I think the minute we start disparaging, oh, well, you know, your mom did this and X, Y, Z, we're really eroding a little bit of the child's self-worth, if not a lot of the child's self-worth. So, so we understand that and we talk about that people might make bad choices, but it doesn't make them bad people. Um, we talk about that you can have a child, but not be prepared to parent. Um, and that parenting takes skill sets that are ongoing, um, you know, and uh, that that take refining and ongoing education um, to, to be good. And that, you know, it's not their fault that under it all, um, meaning it's not the child's fault that they're not with their parent and it's not for lack of love. Now, we always have to, to be careful um, and, and again, case by case basis because some of the some of the situations will never be safe for our children to go back and find their biological parents and reconnect. Um, and so I think we have to to set the framework or the path very carefully so that in this day and age, I think there's no denying, just like you found out your past, anybody can do it and everybody will try to right. do it one point or another. And so I think the reality is now that you have to prepare children about how to do this. How do you yeah. know when you're ready to go and explore your past, your history, your genetics, your family? I mean, and that's, a, I think it applies to everybody, right? Anybody that does the 23andMe or, you know. Oh yeah, the game has changed. The game yeah. has totally changed for yeah. sure. If um, you yeah. can find yeah. out you're related to some people that have done some pretty unsavory things and have some pretty, you know, dark, deep secrets, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you are what they've done and it doesn't necessarily mean that they are what they've done, right? People make some bad choices and get caught up in very difficult circumstances and sometimes those cascade or avalanche on them and that there's something they can do to, to overcome. So, so I think just to answer your question, I think sometimes, you know, if you feel uncomfortable as a parent, uh, just discussing this, absolutely bring in a third party because there are experts out there that will help guide you through it. But my personal opinion on it, the matter is transparency, 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 because you have to have these children's trust 
and you they they deserve they deserve to know now you tell them all the gory details i think not i think those are, that's their personal story and and you know if they wish to go explore that then you have to support them and prepare them for that journey and and walk it with them right that's oh yeah you love someone right is you walk them walk with them in the hard times yeah you know thank you so much for all of that and as you and i were speaking even before we really started taking this podcast i forget that when i'm speaking to you right i'm i you're the um expert in my opinion on this topic and i'm learning so much from you and hoping that anybody listening is learning from you and, you know, I forgot for a second until you said it, when I was sharing my story with you as a parent of um, two beautiful adopted children, you're like listening, you know, to my story going, oh my goodness, like, because I'm telling you what, I am mixed and I did this thing because I didn't feel this like massive, huge sense of belonging. Um, and it was absolutely initially at no fault of my parents. I just think I didn't initially look like anybody around me. Um, so I think when I just want you to know, which this is neither here nor there, but you and anybody else that might be listening, that is parenting and adoptee, like, thank you for acknowledging and saying that you're like, my kids have families of origin, but if they get curious, I will support them and I will stand by them. And it is probably going to be hard or you'll feel some type of way potentially, but I do I do, if there was anything that I wish, and I get asked this quite a bit now, if there was anything that I wish, I would have wished that my parents would have made it, oh, oh, this is always when I cry, so I'm going to try to get through it. I wish my parents made it so I knew I could search and I would have their support if I ever wanted to search. And I just didn't feel that at all. Um, So I do feel like one of my purposes sort of on this journey that I've uncovered and now talking about is to... So to you, Audra, just because we just had this conversation before we started recording, be there for them as you are. And, you know, your kids are fortunate that they have you researching this. Like I can tell, listen, you are NASA grad, PhD. I mean, you are a smart cookie. And I know that you researched the heck out of this in the best way to be a mom to your kids. So, you know, I feel like when I meet parents like you now that are like, hey, tell me more about your journey. I just want to give you a big, huge hug through our, you know, video call to say you're doing it. And I really do wish, I wish, I I miss my mom. My mom's still with us, but she has dementia. So, uh-oh, here come me. Here we go. So, sweetest person. And I, I think I would have told her this if I think, if she cognitively could have handled it. Um, I think we could have gotten through to the other side, even if it was tough for her to hear you know, so um, that transparency is huge and that support also is huge too. And just knowing that love is there and you can work through the tough stuff. Um, You're right. You've hit on something very important. Thank you. That a lot of parents are afraid. And I think that absence is not, you know, that absence of information or withholding it is really less of, it's not malicious at all. I think it is absolutely 100% fear-based that, you know, somebody's going to take a child away or um, a child's going to decide 
well, no, I need to go back to my people. And, and that's a hard thing to, to navigate. My mom says to me quite frequently, because parenting in a space of adoption and foster care is different. You don't do it alone. You don't do it with independent autonomy, right? You, you have to do it as part of a bigger team, whether you like it or not. You are what your words are, a constellation. You're not a family tree. You're a bush or a constellation. You got everybody everywhere. And my mom will always say, oh my gosh, I don't know how you do it. But, you know, it, it is a different form of parenting. There is always something else out there. And there is the, the fact that your children are probably going to go and find these other people. And they might just say, look, you didn't, you didn't do right by me. And I should have never been with you. And I'm going to go. And that's, that's a, that's a hard reality to face. But I think we just keep, keep opening up the conversation and understanding our role in this and our success. I think for, for my foster and adoptive parents, I think we need to redefine our success as parents, our successes around showing up no matter what, right? And that's every parent's success, but yeah. I, we've got a lot of no matter what's that are that yeah. are big deals um, where our children might go away or, or might just present us for the rest of our lives for, for things that we were, um, you know, really didn't have a whole lot of control over. But we better define our success that we showed up, we loved, we were there and um, yeah, you know, yeah, ready yeah. to to have have open conversations and and be accepting of of you know you can go away and you can always come back. Um, so it's yeah. it's a little bit of a challenge, but and it's worth. It. I, I I also want to encourage like so. There's a couple things that are also coming up, and I don't think um, I don't hear this talked about that much, and and maybe it is, and I just haven't heard it yet. So I never I I know in my experience. I, my, my thought was never obviously to go away from my parents and I didn't, it's just to explore more about myself. So like you were saying, it's fear, right. And being now 46 years old, I totally can understand now when I do this as myself with my own biological children, you know, I have parent parenting fear or lack of confidence and divorce, which I'm so fearful how that would impact my children. Right. So parents just come from a place of maybe it's our first time doing this and it's new to us and all that kind of stuff. So we're all kind of in the same boat. And yes, with foster and adoption, it's a added layer and added element. Um, I know in my personal experience, I actually became so grateful for the life that I've lived more so just because I now know the whole story. So also kids get this information at age appropriate times and they get to do what they want with that information. And we parents say, I love you. And here's the information and I love you. And now you're doing this with the information and I still love you. And I also, so two things that I just want to make clear as um, we're talking, I have totally learned and never really thought of it this way. It's not like adoption happens and then it's done and we all move on and have our lives. Such a journey. And that came up, that journey, lifelong journey. Like I, I never really thought about it in this way, but this bubbled up for me in my 40s. And now I'm meeting other adoptees in this adoptee community that are in their same age range. I keep saying we're all the same vintage uncovering it. I think something happens, right? In our 40s, we get confident as women, um, as people, and maybe our parents get older, and then we start to feel safe that we can search. And, you know, all these different things start to happen. So, you know, I definitely encourage parents to remember, even at three or seven or 11 or 16, or 21 or 31 or 41, like we still could be talking about it. So it always should just be this open space where parents and kids can talk. So that was kind of like one of the points that um, was coming up for me when, when we, as we've been talking is this is a journey that transparent 
like back and forth, trust and love, no matter what, you know. And then the other piece I was going to say, which this is interesting, and I know that we're really almost at time here. So we might have to have another conversation about this, but something else that keeps coming up um, and I keep reading about and thinking about, and I experience now myself in meeting my birth father and his extended family is I know now in my case, there was a whole extended family beyond my birth father that knew about me and wanted to keep me and offered to keep me. And they did not have that opportunity because my birth certificate said father unknown. And, you know, then the process just started happening. I went to foster, I was adopted and, you know, they love me. Now that I know my birth father and now that I know that story, it's not, it wasn't just about him and her, my birth mother, there was an extended family involved. So I don't know if we can get into it now or not, but I guess I just wanted to say that so we don't lose that. Um, there are birth parents and there's a whole family. Um, in your experience, either personally or also as you know, you meet with other families, are people considering like the extended families? And is there a is there more work that needs to be done to see if there's anybody before we kind of land? in a stranger's home is there some is there work that needs to be done there i don't know it, kind of rambling but i think i, no, I think no, there's a question I, in there <laughs> i hear you in it and yes is the answer there's work that needs to be done yeah. and there's a lot of work that is being done there's yeah, a lot of yeah. new technology going into identifying uh, rapidly um extended relatives uh, for family of origin because you know the, the data show that foster care or placements of children outside of their, um, uh, you know, home, right, their, their birth parents, um, placement is more stable with uh, relatives, family of origin, extended family. And so there's a big push for kinship care, um, which is, you know, being placed with your relatives. Um, and, and, and doing that search rapidly, right? In a decade ago, you know, we didn't have the national computer ranks that were researching families like we do now. And so there are whole industries around identifying that quickly because the the time that a child spends away from people that they know um, is damaging. And the longer it is, the more they become attached to their surrogate families and the more then that that becomes a disruption in their emotional lives from another broken attachment. So the the system to try and avoid these massive attachment disorders of put a child, let them attach and then rip them away again, um, is really centered around finding family of origin and putting resources into prevention from entry into care. So yes, there's a lot to be done, but there's an awful lot going on, a lot more than there was a decade ago. And so I think that's good. Um, and. You know, the stories that you hear are often from relatives of, I just had no idea, you know, I had no That's idea right. yeah. that my cousin's children weren't being taken care of, or, you know, they, they just don't have that concept um, of, of what's going on because they're, the, the, you know, a lot of families are, are relatively estranged, but they would absolutely step in and take care of their kin. So yeah, there's a lot of push, um, push to do that. But I will say this too, with that push, I think there's also a lot of leaning on families of origin and their relatives to take children. And that's a whole different dynamic. If you can think of, you know, maybe your dad and your mom were, were still, you know, in relations, but there was this, you know, one you know, maybe the parental and grandfather, and I'm just saying this hypothetically said, no, I don't want this child. But then, you know, so it's, it's this, totally. oh my goodness, now there's animosity among 
among the family. And that's harder to get away from. You know, there's not a high emotion in foster care. When you remove a child, it is always a bad circumstance. And if you put that child with a family of, uh, of that is surrogate that has no relation to the family, you you really don't have to worry so much about somebody coming knocking on your door and saying, hey, you know, you did this to me and my family and how dare you take my child. That's not an issue. But in, when you start to talk about kinship care, there's another uh, element to it that that is hard. And and it's it's you know we'll we'll see how it pans out um, for families in mass um, because yeah. there's a huge push to, on on kinship care of, of does this create strife and strain in a family that that does not go away, right? And you know what we learn what what we learn is like back in the 70s, this was the they said this is the best way to go about this. Follow these steps and this is the best way, right? Professionals say, do this, just go home. Don't tell her that her dad's black. Like just take her home. Everybody go on. You know, and that was somebody's advice or somebody's research or somebody's feeling. And then I have absolute positive. I can say without a doubt, I truly believe my parents did the best they can do. They did a fabulous job. We were very close. I am very blessed. And I really have been able to sort through some of the times where I've been like, wait a second, you guys hid something, you know, anything that I think about that takes me down a sad, a negative or a road that questions things. I'm like, you know what, this is the information that they were given. And so now we're living in this world and this is the information that we're given. Um, Have you ever read the book by uh, Don Ruiz, Ruiz Miguel, Miguel Ruiz? Anyway, have you ever read the book, The Four Agreements? No, I haven't. So I read this book. in a book club that I'm part of, amazing, tiny little book. And it talks about these four agreements that we should live by in our lives if we want to like live happy, full lives. And two of the four points, always, I always think about now when I'm like having these conversations, doing this work, thinking about my own situation or getting stuck in my own feelings. Don't make assumptions. Don't take it personally. That's two of the four. And I have made so many assumptions, right? Like along the way, because if we don't know the story, we make it up. I'm sure I've been making up stories about my life and my family and things like that because I didn't know it. Um, so I really do. Somebody says, are you mad about your parents and the things that you've uncovered? And I'm like, you know, yes, there's times where I'm sitting here and I'll look at a picture. Uh, my dad passed away last year, by the way. So my mother's alive and has dementia. My father passed away. Um, my parents who raised me and I, I could get mad and I could cry and I have moments. Absolutely. And then I also sit here and say, they absolutely love me. They absolutely did the best they could. Thank God adoption is an option. Thank goodness there's foster parents in the world raising their hands. Um, So I don't see a world where none of these things exist. I mean, it doesn't feel like it's going away. So we have to just do the best we can while we're here. Um, I promised you that I would get you out of here. And now we're past that time. So Anything else? I So I just want to say really quickly, thank you. And I'm so happy that I've met you. Um, our mutual friend told me about you and she's like, she's wonderful. And this organization is amazing. Um, I do want to just point out my little side hustle, my beautiful jewelry business, Otito, just for anybody listening. And I'll put this in the notes um, under this episode is Otito has a rose quartz bracelet that we created in partnership with our beautiful friends out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, called Infinite Warrior. And this bracelet, every single bracelet sold, a portion of the proceeds get donated annually to EFFC. So thank you, um, Aja, for no, thank you. Like letting me, you know, land on this place. I feel it's selfish because I wanted to give back. And um, so 
I'm happy that we were introduced and I'm happy that there's something that I can do to, you know, give to the um, organization. And I love that the gifts that we give to Tidewater, we know where they go, right? They go to gifts for the kids. They go to summer camps for the kids, extracurricular activities and tutoring. Um, so I'm going to put all the information for the bracelet. So all of our wonderful listeners and friends and family and everybody that hears this will go off and buy one of our Rose Quartz bracelets. And then at the end of 2023, we'll make another donation to Tidewater. Um, so thank you for everything that you do. Thank you. Thank you're you. probably the smartest, you're the smartest person I've ever been on the phone with, probably. <laughs> you give me too much credit. <laughs> no, thank you, though. Honestly, thank you for what you do. And really, truly, you know, hugs to you through the um, through the video monitor, because I empathize what it's like to be a parent and what it's like to be a business owner and what it's like to be a nonprofit. And you're really doing all the things. So you are making a mark. Thank you. Thank you. No, I appreciate you bringing light into this space. It needs a lot more light than it gets. And and uh, we really appreciate you having this conversation with us. And I, I really value your um, shared experience or the experience that you shared with me about being adopted, uh, particularly as as an adopted mom. You know, it's I always worry about what my kids are going to face. It's not a lived experience I have. So I, I yeah. am so grateful to have met you. And I thank look you, forward to you. To keeping in touch. You're, yes, you're stuck with me now, and I, I do. I feel, I feel obligated to talk about it. So your daughter, um, and you obviously have friended me, and I'm here to help you through any of those tough times. And yeah, this is here. You're not done with me. You're stuck with me now. So Yay. thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Audra's personal mission is very clear to ensure that every child in the foster care system feels valued and has the opportunity to thrive. Through Tidewater Friends of Foster Care, she is creating a brighter future for these incredible young individuals, one filled with hope, support, and endless possibilities. We hope this episode has inspired you to learn more about the ways you can show support for organizations like TFFC, and most importantly, support the foster children in your own community. Remember, every small act of kindness and support can have a profound impact on these young lives. If you're interested in learning more about Tidewater Friends of Foster Care and how you can get involved, please visit their website at tidewaterffc.org. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the Adoptee Diaries podcast and stay tuned for more inspiring stories and discussions. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us through our website or social media platforms. Thanks for joining and see you next time.